Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Retired College Athletes Podcast, a podcast designed to inspire and inform current and former athletes through stories and advice from retired college athletes. I'm your host, Sydney Umeri, and today we are chatting with Maggie Headley. Maggie founded an awesome platform called Maggie Bakes Grace, where she shows us that all food is fuel. Maggie was a very, very talented swimmer in college at the University of Minnesota, but ran into a few different setbacks, most namely an eating disorder. So if that is triggering for you, this episode may not be for you, but please feel free to come back and catch us on Thursday for a solo cast. I really appreciate Maggie's story. I think it's a good example of what a really solid recovery process from eating disorders can look like. And her outlook on food now is so healthy. So with that said, let's go ahead and jump into today's episode. And I can't wait to talk to you guys on the other side. So I started swimming when I was like seven and a half years old. I actually started because I always went to a YMCA state and watched my cousins swim. And I wanted to be like them when I grew up. So I joined our local YMCA swim team and loved it. I wasn't like super committed to swimming or anything. Like I played basketball and soccer and loved art and kind of wished I was a gymnast like every time the Olympics came around. But then when I was about 12 years old, I really decided that I wanted to be good at swimming. So I quit all my other sports and just swam year round. So I started like doing morning practices in middle school, which was very young to be starting doing like double practices, two practices a day, but it was my decision. I think that's really important to emphasize like in my journey, because I was the one waking my dad up to take me to practice in the morning. If I wanted to go to morning practice, my parents didn't wake me up. My parents weren't the ones telling me what time practice was. It was always my responsibility because it was my sport, not theirs. And that kind of gave me a sense of ownership for my sport and for me and My goals were my goals. I didn't feel like pressure from them or from anyone else really. And that helped me so much just kind of because I'm a very uptight perfectionist person. So throughout middle and then into high school, that really helped me stay grounded and just work hard because it's what I wanted to do and be really self-motivated. So then throughout high school, you know, started to really be like, okay, I want to make Olympic trials. I want to swim D1 because I was on that track of, you know, going to many practices, barely missing any practices. I literally, I didn't miss a practice from ninth grade on. I was like, swimming's number one. I missed, you know, Friday night football games. Didn't go to like a single one unless it was after swim practice. I showed up to homecoming with wet hair. I missed birthdays. If I had, you know, something that I couldn't miss, like the ACT, I went to morning practice before the ACT started and then literally competed in a swim meet that afternoon. But it was, it was my choice this whole time. It was my choice. And so, yeah, really, really loved swimming. When I say it now, I'm like, wow, that really was my life. I really just, you know, kept on training so much, told myself like I need to train more than anyone else is if I want to achieve these goals. So like senior year, when you're going on recruiting trips, you have the option to like swim or go train on the Saturday morning. And of course, like you're visiting a college. The last thing you want to do is jump in a pool at 6am, but 
there I was like one of usually three people on the trip getting in the pool because I still hadn't made trials. And also like you're visiting a D1 school, you kind of want to show them you love swimming and want to work hard. Like to me, that was showing them that I cared a lot. And it all ended up paying off because then summer after my senior year, so like two weeks after graduating, I qualified for Olympic trials. And then a month later, I won nationals in the same in the 200 IM, which is also what I qualified for trials in and then went to college. And that's when things went downhill. I love that you mentioned it like that, because ultimately, like as you're talking about your career and how you were a self-motivated individual, like I played a team sport, I played basketball, and I was also extremely self-motivated. I've always been the kid that I am internally motivated. So I just like to see myself getting better, even if it's in a team sport. Like I know that if I'm individually getting better, I'm helping my team. And so mm-hmm. I as well was a kid who was like, dad, we need to leave now for practice. Like I don't want to be late or like, you know, mm-hmm. giving them the times and like being really type A about wanting to get better. Mm-hmm. And just like you, I was good. Like, I mean, I played USA basketball, but mm-hmm. didn't of course make the Olympics. So not like that, but it was pretty mm-hmm. good. And if you look at my youth career, like before college, really strong. Yeah. But when I got to college, a lot of things changed. And so I'd love to hear like, what was the biggest difference between life before college and then college for you? Because I know in one of your hidden opponent pieces that I will link in the description box for everybody to go read, you had mm-hmm. mentioned how like you were super satisfied with your career prior to college, but then not so much after. What was the biggest difference for you? Yeah, I think for me, and of course, so I started college fall of 2015. So I've had quite a few years now to reflect on this. And a lot of external things did happen. But what it all actually boils down to is I felt like I had to prove something in college. So like every day going to practice, I was like, I need to prove myself if I want to travel to Florida this weekend. I need to prove myself if I want to make the Big Ten team. And in high school, middle school, elementary school, I didn't need to prove myself to anyone but myself. And so like that shift for me started to create performance anxiety in myself, not just at meets, but at practice. And that is really draining and really hard. I also developed an eating disorder like week one of college. Like I can almost pinpoint when this sort of shift happened because I was dealing with a lot of things that I know is becoming more, more commonly talked about, but like how it's different to like be a female athlete versus um, being a female that maybe works out for fun or doesn't enjoy working out at all. And how like you need to fuel for performance as an athlete. And I wanted to fuel like the sorority girls that were on my floor. And those are like, two different, you know, they're not swimming four hours a day. I probably need to be eating more than them. Right. And it was just like this constant comparison game that I didn't have to deal with ever before in my life. And that's really what it boils down to. I also, I lost my grandma and my cousin within two weeks of each other and they passed away. I lost a best friend as in thought he was going to be there for me and absolutely was not. And of course, when you're going into college, And you anticipate people being there for you and then they're not. That's also really, really hard. So just, yeah, like I said, a lot of external things too, but also like internal pressures that I put on myself that I wish I was self-aware enough at the time to know how to combat them. Like I know how to combat them now because this perfectionism, this performance anxiety, 
I can see how in high school, I maybe had those traits. They just weren't, I didn't have the life events happen yet to trigger them into something that tore me down. Right. And now they are, it is kind of a part of me, but I know how to combat those things. And I have gone to therapy now and I know how to deal with those things that I didn't know how to deal with in college. So yeah, freshman year was really rough. I ended up because Olympic trials were in 2016. So summer after my freshman year, basically my coaches, they were like, if you lose even one more pound, you don't get to go compete at trials. So that was good motivation to eat (laughs) enough food. And then I went into eating disorder treatment my sophomore year. So I'm fully recovered now. I'd say I was like what's called pseudo recovered my sophomore year, but then like started swimming best times again by sophomore year. So my swimming started like getting better, but just because I was like, quote unquote, physically better doesn't mean I was like mentally okay. Mm-hmm. And then junior year happened and I ended up now, I would say it was overtraining syndrome. Back then they said I had trained through influenza and gave myself arthritis because I was like crying in pain every day at practice wow. and was going to have to take six months off the sport after my junior year, which I'm sure as you know, and many people know listening, you can't just take six months off going into your senior year of college in a sport. So that's what ended my career. Um, Gotcha. Wow. Okay. What I love about your story is that it shows the humanity that I think we all deal with when we're in college. What made your career tumble was a lot of things. It was comparison and just like the pressures of honestly being like a college girl, but also being a college athlete that is female. Like there are pressures that we all feel around our body and performance. And some people feel it a lot more heavily than others, but it's there. And then there's part of just like being a typical human who has people in their life that they want to be around. And for various reasons, they're not there, whether it's through death or just the loss of a friendship, which I think honestly, the loss of a friendship is so hard to navigate in general. Mm-hmm. But if you expect that person to be there and you're already having a tough time and they're not, like that's just a lot to navigate at a young age. And so between those two things and then your eating disorder, which it sounds like kind of stemmed from two things. It was one for performance and then one for control. A lot of people think that eating disorders only happen when people are not satisfied with their body looks like or something like that. But most commonly, I hear that eating disorders happen because people are looking to control an aspect of their life because their life feels out of control. And so, yeah, I totally, <laughs> I totally get that. And it makes sense why things kind of just fall apart. I do want to talk about how your career ended off of an injury. But before we get to that, you said that like you went to recovery for your eating disorder. What did that look like? Did you have to go away? Did you have to separate yourself from your team? Like, what did that look like? Yeah. So thankfully, I just got to do outpatient treatment. So the team sent me to a nutritionist first, which actually made things worse. Interesting um, how that happens. (laughs) It's why I'm so adamant about preaching about like, like it's okay to search for a therapist that works well with you. It's okay to search for a nutritionist that works well for you because otherwise they can do even more harm and damage. So I finally went to Melrose. It's a really well-known place up here in Minnesota and they do great work. And for me, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't necessarily about the food. It was the psychological side. So I only went to therapy. Like they didn't control my food or anything like that. And it took just a summer to get to the root cause of why I was doing this to kind of figure it out. And I know my treatment 
is probably a lot different than other people's, but I was a psych undergrad. I am so introspective, like almost to a fault of Mm -hmm. how much I like analyze my own mental state of being. And so really I just needed help finding the why. And then I was able to do the work and kind of, yeah, kind of recover from it. Like I said, I had a kind of pseudo recovery because I had what was called orthorexia, anorexia. So it was about being perfect in your eating. So I created like food rules and fears around food. And of course, when you're eating in a dining hall, that's really hard because I, yeah, I just, I was like certain things I can't have. And then when you tell yourself you can't have those certain things and half of the dining hall food has that all of a sudden you're living off soup and salad, which again, when you're training four hours a day, isn't enough. (laughs) Right. But so like my sophomore year, I was eating quote unquote enough, but I was still stressed about it. I was still worried about eating too much. Um, like the first half of my sophomore year. And then it just took more self work, more reflecting on, you know, what, why am I afraid of gaining weight? Like, where am I finding my worth? Things like that, that really launched me into just fully recovered. So, right. I want to sit in this for a second and talk about how you dealt with this in college, but there are a lot of retired college athletes that deal with orthorexia specifically, because oftentimes as a retired college athlete, you're trying to maintain your athletic body and you're not working out as much. So there's a lot of food rules that do come up on our podcast. I believe it was episode 47. We had dietitian Katie Spada come on and talk about that. Yeah, you know her. She's awesome. (laughs) I just want to point that out that like, if you're a retired college athlete listening to this, this is so valuable still, because I think like I dealt with a bit of orthorexia, not diagnosed, but definitely had a lot of food rules because I wanted to make sure that like, I was still basically the same Sydney from college. And that's not always that's not possible. Like you're changing, you're growing, and things are going to be different. But I wanted to know, what advice would you give to a woman that's in your same situation, like maybe not so much in college, but they could be in college, but like, what do you wish you knew back then? I feel like, like, I wish that I truly understood how to love myself and how much other people loved me, not because of my body and not because I was fast. Mm-hmm. And my two identities going into college and throughout college were I had abs and I was fast at swimming. So when I started to not feel as fast as swimming because I was <laughs> at a D1 school racing the best of the best, the the fear of if I had lost my six pack and that was the only thing I had left of my identity at the time was just too much. And that is really sad that that was what I thought my whole identity was because I was a daughter. I was a sister. I didn't have a food blog at the time, but I was very smart. I loved school. I was kind to strangers. There's so many other things that I was then and that I am now. And it's really hard as an athlete to separate ourselves from our sport, particularly when you are trying to do your sport in college. That means you're probably pretty dedicated to it and care a lot. So it's really hard to separate your worth from your sport. And that's why it's so hard for retired college athletes as well, because it's kind of like, like, what do you, what is eating like a, like a human, you know, what's sleeping like a human, what is a workout? Like, I don't know. I just know how to fuel sleep and eat and train and be to be an athlete. And so it's really about finding who you are outside of that and knowing that there is 
worth in that because I'm sure all of us are friends with people that aren't elite athletes and we don't love them less because they're not an elite athlete or because they don't have big biceps from lifting weights. Like we love them all the same. And so it's important to give ourselves that same grace, I think. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. We've talked a lot on RCA recently about just identity outside of sport and making sure that you know what that is and that you're not building up yourself solely in your sport. Because while that's a big part of your life, like you said, it's not all that you are and you don't lose your worth because you're not an athlete anymore, because you're not as you're not performing. That has nothing to do with like who you inherently are and the value that you hold. So I love that you brought that up. I am curious, when did Maggie Bakes start? And it's interesting because you just talked about how you had an eating disorder Now I look at your page for Maggie Bakes, like on Instagram, and I'm like, whoa, (laughs) like this is probably the best eating disorder recovery I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) And so when did that start? What inspired it? I'd love for you to talk a little bit about it. Yeah. So I actually, in college, when I had my eating disorder, I followed, you know, privately on my page, just a few girls that also had been going through an eating disorder and were recovered. And I always loved baking. I always loved cooking with my mom and dad. So I like knew kind of like of these kind of creator pages on Instagram, so to speak, but I never was willing to like take the jump into making my own until my senior year. So just at the end of my senior year of college. So I'd already been done swimming for a year. I had moved into an apartment with my then boyfriend, now husband, and finally just kind of took the plunge because I finally like had the apartment with him. So it was less roommates, more counter space, more fridge space. And I was working and only taking like two classes to finish up college. So I really just kind of had the time and the energy to finally do it. But it's been a dream of mine to release a cookbook with my mom since I can remember. So my aunt taught me how to make fudge when I was two. We have a photo of that. And that's really the first time that I like learned how to bake. And then growing up every Sunday, my sister and I would make dinner for the family. Like my mom got us a children's cookbook and safety knives and all of that so we could make pizza for the family. And I just really believe that so many great memories are made in the kitchen and that all food is fuel. And I just hope that what people can figure out is that it is not worth sacrificing memories and time with your loved ones to succumb to food rules. So that's kind of really what Maggie Bakes Grace is about. But then also this other side of it is that I have a ton of allergies. My mom has a ton of allergies. So I'm allergic to dairy and coconut, which is like a terrible combination of allergies to have. Mm -hmm. Um, But so it's also like allergy friendly foods, just again, the all food is fuel, but that even if you have allergies, even if you used to have an eating disorder, food can be fun, tasty and affordable. Yeah. One thing I do love about some of the stuff that you put out is that I think oftentimes especially when people come from like the clean eating world, they will look at people who have allergies and be like, oh, well, they're not eating dairy, so I shouldn't eat dairy. But you're really vocal about cut it out if that's what your doctor says, but not not just to cut it out. Like it's important that you eat as your body can handle it and not just like create these rules around it. And I mean, obviously that comes from like your background with this eating disorder, but I really do appreciate that because I think oftentimes that's not talked about enough in, in the food world. 
Oh, definitely. And as my community on Maggie Bakes Grace has grown, I felt more of a responsibility, almost like a disclaimer, right? Like disclaimer, you don't need to eat exactly like me. Like I, that's why I don't do full days of eating or anything because those can be really triggering for people that have had eating disorders. And just like I said, half of my issues in college were about comparison. So why would I put out content that is just asking for people to compare themselves to it? That just doesn't seem to sit well with me and no hate on the people that do do that. I just will never do that. You don't know what's going to happen if you cut out a food and then just one day try to put it back in. (laughs) Yeah. And that's the thing that a lot of people don't talk about. It's like you do this stuff for like a fad diet sometimes, but then you end up hurting yourself down the road because exposure to different foods is really important for your immune Mm -hmm. system to realize that it's like not an allergen. Mm -hmm. So you might actually become allergic to the food if you cut it out for an extended period of time. And that's like, that's where things get really murky and it's not widely discussed. And so, yeah, again, I really appreciate you doing that because I think it just adds some transparency to what you do, but also to that world, the world of baking and food and that whole side of Instagram and creating. And I I just think it's awesome that you do that. Well, thank you. (laughs) Of course. I wanted to give you the floor one last time to give any advice to currently retired or recently retired college athletes. I know that transition out can be a little tough. Yeah. I mean, first of all, like you aren't alone if you are recently retired, particularly if it was unexpected. I feel so bad for everyone who didn't get their final season because of the pandemic. But first and foremost, you are not alone in your feelings. We are like fully not prepared for the transition to life after sport. Don't be afraid to seek out comfort or help. I know we talked about Katie earlier in this podcast, Katie Spada from Fueling Former Athletes. And personally for me, following her account has been so helpful. Even now I'm over two, oh gosh, I'm over three years out now from when I had to stop swimming. And the things that she say are just kind of about like finding value in yourself after being an athlete. And that community has been really helpful for me. Don't be afraid to seek out a therapist if it's so deep that you need someone to talk to about it because sometimes we don't find purpose in our lives. And if we need help finding that purpose again, there's nothing weak about that. And then just take the opportunity of like this newfound time you probably have to learn a new skill, find a new hobby, even do a new sport if you still love being active. I know that my happiness levels increased tenfold when I started playing master's water polo because I was still in the water, which is where I'm most at peace. But I'm chasing a yellow ball. I'm not staring at a black line and I'm passing with teammates and it's so fun. And so if if being like athletic and active is something that makes you happy, then you don't need to not do that just because you're not like a quote unquote college or elite athlete anymore. Find what makes you happy. That's awesome. And like you mentioned, you mentioned uh, Katie again. I will definitely link Katie's episode down below as well as her Instagram. She is an awesome resource. She's a registered dietitian. And so I believe she works with the Hayes diet, which means health at every size. And so, or not even diet, it's kind of like a lifestyle, but basically no food rules, nothing like that. And so um, I'll link her down below, but I want to thank you so much for carving out time to come on the podcast. I think a lot of people can relate to your story. I know I definitely can. And so I know it'll help our audience. Well, good. Thank you so much for having me. It was a blast. All right, guys, that's all I have for today. I thought Maggie was awesome. I really, really appreciate her view on food now. And also 
the fact that while she may not be able to have dairy and gluten and it's diagnosed by a doctor that she cannot have that, she does encourage everyone to eat what they can eat. Don't cut out things just because someone else is. And if you do want to cut out things, go and see a doctor and see if you should be cutting out those foods. But I really appreciate that disclaimer that she puts out on all of her videos and all of her content because it's so necessary as we live in a diet culture. People want to cut out things as fad diets and that could actually cause more harm than help people. So I love that she talks about that. With that said, let's go ahead and hop into housekeeping. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to this episode. It means so much. If you'd like to get more involved in the RCA community, please feel free to follow us on social media. We are everywhere, but most active on Instagram and on YouTube. We have an additional episode coming out this Thursday. It's a solo cast. We have one come out every single Thursday, as well as a video dropping on YouTube every Thursday. So please check that out. Also, another way for you to support the podcast is to donate to our Patreon. In exchange for giving to us on a monthly basis, you will get exclusive content. So that's always a fun place to be. We're building a community over there and we have great content coming out over there. With that said, that is all I have for today. So I hope you guys have a great rest of your week and we'll chat on Thursday.